0: State of the art patents update podcast. Welcome to another episode of mails in Conversation. I'm Daniel Wise, and in today's chat, I'll be joined by two of our associates, Kat Langford and Natasha Christian.
1: Hello. Hi, Dan.
0: Hi, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this episode, we'll be taking a look at some recent EPO case law. Kat will be focusing on T1989-18, of 18, uh, which was a decision that got quite a lot of excitement over Christmas, in particular about whether it meant the end of description amendments at the EPO. Uh, and then Natasha will be taking us through Rule 137.5, which relates to what the EPO can do when it hasn't searched your entire application. Uh, So we'll kick off with description amendments and Kat, what are description amendments at the EPO? What's this all about?
2: So it is um, standard practice for the EPO to ask for a description to be brought into conformity with the claims, um, to be amended so that it's Consistent and doesn't contradict the claims. And this is something that comes up um, during prosecution. So, before grant, for example, um, if a claim has been amended to overcome a particular objection from the examiner, then the EPO normally writes and asks the applicant to bring the description into conformity with the amended claims. And it's also something that applies to post-grant proceedings too, Uh, Again, if the claims are amended during um, opposition or appeal proceedings, the patentee normally is asked to adapt the description to take account of the amendments made. And um, the requirements for bringing the description into conformity with the claims are set out in the EPO guidelines, but actually... There is nothing in the articles or the rules that explicitly says that a description has to be brought into conformity with the claims.
0: And why do people worry about it?
2: The people worry about it because descriptions can be used to interpret claims in post-grant proceedings. So, for example, if an amendment is introduced into the description during prosecution, then the opposing side in post-grant proceedings could potentially rely on this amendment to put forward an interpretation of a claim that is favourable to to the opposing side, but less favourable to the applicant. And uh, because of that risk, patent attorneys do sort of tend to agonise rather a lot over any changes they make to the description and generally try to make as few changes as possible. And depending on how the description is written and what sort of amendments are made to the claims, it can be more complicated than in other cases. And generally speaking, description amendments end up being quite time consuming and costly.
0: I suppose that's uh, that's an important point, isn't it? That it depends a bit on how the description was written in the in the first place, as to, in terms of how you might amend it. Are, are there any standard ways of amending the description? I mean, what, what generally works?
2: So, over the last sort of twenty years or so, probably the patent attorneys and applicants have come come up with this sort of standard way of amending descriptions. Um, and that was to change the word invention to disclosure and to change the word embodiment to instance or example, where the statements, um, where these words were featured, were broader than than what was in the claims. And this, um, this sort of was used for A number of years, uh, however, the updated guidelines that were issued in March last year explicitly said that this was no longer acceptable and this, this could not continue. And the guidelines set out a very sort of strict guidance on how to amend the description into conformity with the claims.
0: So if you weren't allowed to sort of find and replace the word invention with disclosure anymore, what, what did you have to do?
2: So the guidelines specifically said that if embodiments were not covered by the claims, they either had to be deleted completely from the uh, description or or they had to be prominently marked as not being part of the invention. And I guess it's fair to say that applicants and patent attorneys are not generally very keen on saying that something definitely does not fall within the scope of the claims. So the guidelines issued last year were seen by patent attorneys as fairly strict Although what we have seen is that some examiners apply it more strictly than others.
0: Yeah, sure. I guess if you say something doesn't fall within the scope of the claims, then you know, it's going to be tricky if you're trying to rely on doctrinal equivalence or something later to say, well, actually, maybe it does fall within the scope of the claims. So, so, so what was this decision that came out around Christmas then? How did that shake things up?
2: Well, in that case, um, the examining decision refused the application, not because the claims were not allowable. In fact, it said that the claims were fine, But actually, uh, the examining division said that the description was amended in such a way that was inconsistent with the scope of the claims. And it retained a subject matter that was broader than the claims that were allowed. And the subject matter was said to be part of the invention.
0: Wow. So someone actually let their case be refused just because of the description amendments.
2: Yes, indeed. That's very, very unusual and um the the board uh, looked at various provisions in the patent convention to to try and find some legal basis for the requirement uh, to mend the description into conformity with the claims and actually came to the conclusion that there was no legal basis for that requirement uh, which was also uh, quite quite earth-shattering as far as patent attorneys were concerned.
0: So can we just forget all about this now and it was a bad dream the last 20 years?
2: Oh, I wish it was this simple. It doesn't look like this is going to happen just yet. It's worth saying that the recent decision goes against previous case law of the boards of appeal which actually took the opposite view and said that description must be adapted into conformity with the claims to avoid any inconsistencies between the claims and the description. And uh, it said that such inconsistencies could cause the claims to be unclear. And this is actually case law that was referenced in the guidelines uh, issued last year. There's also standard practice of the boards themselves across multiple different boards of appeal to remit the case to the examining division or the opposition division to um, allow the applicant or the patentee to amend the description into conformity with whatever set of claims was deemed allowable by the board. And this most recent decision seems to also go against this practice. It's fair to say that European patent attorneys were very excited about this decision when it came out. As we discussed, description amendments can be quite tricky and the consequences can be quite far-reaching. So any relaxation of, of the rules on description amendments would be quite welcome by the patent attorneys. However, so far there's only been a single decision on this and it's unlikely to change the established practice. So essentially what we need now is hopefully for more boards of appeal to take the same view.
0: And and in the meantime what, what, what can we expect?
2: It will probably take a while b- before we get more decisions because people don't like to challenge description amendments as we've spoken before they just rather get the claims allowed and get the case granted as soon as possible. I think the decision does open the debate on this topic and I think it is potentially a, a useful decision to cite if you're trying to push back against some of the description amendments that the EPO is asking you to introduce. However, that said, we've heard recently uh, through the grapevine that EPO examiners are actually being asked to uh, stick to the established practice and ignore T1989 of 18, at least for now. So, um, we'll see how this develops further, I guess. Yeah,
0: it's difficult, isn't it, to see cases getting this far to be decided? I, I suppose you, you could potentially get a a, a a situation in opposition maybe where there's a challenge to the description amendments and there there's sort of a bit, little bit less at stake because you could have that as a separate issue in the appeal rather than sort of preventing the grant of a case in the first place. Um, yeah, interesting. And and we've got new guidelines coming out. They've just been published at the EPO, the draft version. Do they shed any more light on, on how the EPO is moving in this area?
2: Well, there's no mention of this most recent decision in the guidelines. Um, and although the section on description amendments has been reworded, but fundamentally the requirements remain the same. So the the requirements and the view the EPO takes on amending the description into conformity with claims are still fairly strict and remain unchanged, essentially. I think there's a, a helpful sentence in the new guidelines that talks about giving the, benefits of da- um, the benefit of the doubt to the applicant if there is a sort of borderline case. Uh, and this may be sort of a, a tiny step towards applying the rules less strictly but there are also plenty of passages in the draft guidelines that explicitly set out fairly rigid requirements for amending the description so I think we'll be amending descriptions for the foreseeable future.
0: Great. Yeah, They've the, the guidelines like that phrase every so often, the benefit of the doubt should be given to the applicant. There's, there's a bit under unity that says that. And yeah, if you ever refer an examiner to that point, they do not uh, give up their objection. Uh, and speaking of unity, moves us on nicely to uh, Tasha's discussion of uh, rule 137.5, because that obviously comes up in, in unity occasionally. So, Natasha, run us through rule 135. Sorry,
1: 137.5. So, Rule 137 on the whole relates to all things amendment in your European patent application. It begins by setting out certain points during prosecution when you can and can't make amendments, and then tells us that further amendment can only be made with the consent of the examining division. Now, subsection 5, which we're talking about today, comes right at the end of that rule and puts restrictions on the subject matter that you can add to your claims in amendment based on the scope of the search that was performed on your original claims.
0: Okay, and and, and so why might there have been a restriction uh, on the search? How does that play into this?
1: Well, the first part of Rule 137.5 tells us that uh, am- amended claims can't relate to subject matter, which wasn't searched by the EPO if this subject matter relates only to an inventive concept which wasn't present in the original claims. So as you mentioned before, Dan, this relates to the EPO's rules around unity and you know the need to pay a search fee for each of the inventions that you want to have searched. So to fall foul of this part of the rule, the subject matter that you want to add to your claims has to tick both boxes. It has to have been not searched initially and also not unified with your original claims that were searched. So in the event that you wanted to amend your claims to subject matter that you find in your description, which hadn't itself been searched in the early stages of prosecution, you can still do this if you can successfully argue that these new features relate to the same inventive concept that was present in the claims that were searched. Now, on the face of it, this rule can seem quite harsh. Um, Arguably, if you're original claims are found to lack novelty then they don't involve any inventive concept. so how could any amendment combine with the original claims to form one inventive concept um but recent appeal cases tell us that amendments which are a strict limitation as they say of the original claims so they're a further definition of features that were present in the claims that were searched then these amendments should be permitted even if the specific features weren't actually searched. Another recent case highlights that the inventive concept of the original claims doesn't necessarily have to have been present in the original independent claim, it could be a concept of any of the search dependent claims, be that dependent claim 2 or dependent claim 200, um, as long as that claim was searched.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, it's quite interesting that we're seeing appeals of, you know, what is ultimately quite a procedural point that people are kind of risking their application to go up to the the boards of appeal to get these points decided. Uh, so, so what are we learning? How, how can you avoid this rule in practice? Well,
1: as we mentioned, this first part of... Rule 137.5 really comes down to, is your invention unified? Have you paid the right fees to get all this searched? Or are you trying to be a bit sneaky and go off on a tangent? Um, (laughs) We wouldn't do such a thing. Um, So one way to think about it when you're thinking of making an amendment is if these features that you want to add in were present in the claims as you'd originally filed them and as you'd originally put them forward to be searched, would there have been a lack of unity? Um, and if no, then it's worth a pop. Um, of course, this isn't really a foolproof test because the examining division might consider the exact same question and come to a completely different conclusion. But it's a helpful place to start.
0: Okay. And, uh, and are there any other any other reasons why the EPA might limit your search? We, we've talked about unity there.
1: So, At the search stage, your examiner might refuse to search subject matter, which is contained in a second, third, or so on, independent claim of a certain claim category. So uh, say you have three apparatus claims and two method claims, these might not all be allowed in Europe. Um, Or they might refuse to search subject matter because your original claim was considered to be so unclear or just not supported by the rest of the application that the search examiner didn't feel like it was possible to perform a full search over the entire scope of this claim. So this second scenario might happen in practice because your original original claim contains a broad functionally defined feature and the description only includes one or two examples of such a feature and alternatives might not be clear to the skilled person. So your search examiner in that case might limit the search only to those one or two specific examples. Now, the second part of Rule 137.5 tells us that once the search has been limited for one of these reasons, and the subject matter has been essentially removed from the claims under consideration, then that subject matter can't be reintroduced in amendment of the claims. Um, Now, something to note about limitation of the search for these reasons is that it only automatically applies to subject matter which was actually present in the original claims. Um, And this is all down to the wording of Mm. rules 62A and 63, as they are, if anyone wants to go away and do some homework. (laughs) Um, And the, the limitation doesn't necessarily apply to subject matter that's only found in the description. So this was highlighted by the Board of Appeal in a recent case at the EPO. And the amended guidelines, which Kat mentioned, which come into force next month, actually include specific guidance on how subject matter in the description should be treated. Essentially, an objection under the second half of Rule 137.5 can only be raised to claim amendments which introduce subject matter that's taken from the description if this subject matter was explicitly de- declared at the search stage as not having been searched under the relevant rules.
0: Okay, so that's quite useful. It, it feels unlikely that examiners would go to that effort actually to, to specify what they haven't searched and what they have searched.
1: It could be quite a big task.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Interesting. But but what would you do in, in that situation?
1: Well, if you are faced with the situation where at an early stage your search has been limited under rules 62A, so that's the multiple independent claims, or rule 63, where your claim was too broad or too unclear in the eyes of the examiner, then you can still fight this at the examination stage. And if you can argue that the restriction of the original search wasn't justified, then it is within the remit of the examining division to top up that search to include relevant subject matter. Um, So this has been the case for some time. um, And the ability of the exam division to perform these top up searches is mentioned in various parts of the guidelines. And, you know, you quite often see an examination report which has a new D11 because it's relevant to your recently filed amendment um but the upcoming amendment of the guidelines also introduces a paragraph noting the ability of the exam division to do a top-up search within the section relating to rule 137.5 perhaps just as a as a reminder that that's an option yeah
0: nice to point examiners to that that point if it if it feels right Um, So so when does this issue usually come up in in day-to-day practice then? Is something that examiners can raise? When do they do it?
1: So an objection under Rule 137.5 that your amendment brings in unsearched subject matter and so can't be allowed can really come up at any time that amendments are filed after the search stage is complete. Um, Another point that's been hashed out recently before the boards of Appeal is how this rule should be used. So the board in one case recently pointed out that this final section of rule 137 refers to amended claims rather than to the act of amending them and so relates to substantive requirements of your claims rather than procedural steps. Um, So they concluded that this rule on its own can be used to refuse a set of claims after they've really considered the merits of them uh, but it can't be used to ...refuse admission of a set of claims. Uh, They also pointed out that... ...a division can refuse to admit a set of claims... ...if their initial prima facie judgment... ...is that the claims relate to unsearched subject matter. But procedurally this must be done under Rule 137.3... ...which is the part of the rule which refers to consent... ...of the examining division. In theory, refusing to admit claims... ...because they relate to unsearched subject matter... ...is allowable... But uh, it can lead to all sorts of trouble for the division, as we've seen in some recent appeal cases. Um, It really presents a bit of a catch-22, because if the division's initial judgment is correct and the amendments that you're considering do relate to unsearched subject matter, then those claims should be found not to be allowable uh, and refused for this reason only. But this implicitly requires them to have been admitted and fully considered, Um, And then on the other hand, if the division's initial judgment is incorrect and the claims do actually comply with the rules on unsearched subject matter, then the decision not to admit the claims was baseless and they should have been admitted anyway. Uh, It it seems like in a lot of cases it's just more efficient to admit the request and have a good think about it and
0: and then rule on the substantive issue rather than sort of try and shortcut
1: it precisely
0: yeah yeah okay that's that's quite a nuanced point is isn't it so it's that it should be admissible but not allowable mm. is, is the way okay um, it's a tip there for the examiners out there. Although I don't think we <laughs> particularly want them to be ruling on 137.5 any Not more really. often than they do. Unless um, you're desperate
1: to see them again in four years in the Board of Appeal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they send it back down, and we all go back to where we were. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Tasha. That's quite a niche area of uh, EPA practice there, but it, it is an important one. It can be really frustrating if you're on the wrong side of that rule. Uh, you know, essentially, you're forced to file a divisional if you want to pursue subject matter that hasn't been. Served so uh, it's worth knowing how that one works Uh, but anyway that's uh, all we have time for today if you'd like to ask any questions then please do get in touch our contact details can be found on the Cartmails website as usual thanks for joining us for this episode of Cartmails in Conversation if you'd like to hear more from the Cartmails team then you can of course subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts iTunes, Spotify or wherever you usually get your podcasts and uh, we hope you'll join us again soon bye bye